0: Please stand together, brothers and sisters, for the reading of God's Word. I will read from Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 19, through to verse, t- verse 22, in chapter 4. The focus today will be on verse 13, with the question as the title of the sermon, Have you been with Jesus? Please listen carefully, because this is God's holy and infallible Word. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets, since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there any salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go uh, go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man, In this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over forty years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Thus ends the reading of God's Word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. does Christianity seem complicated to you sometimes? Do you sometimes feel the complexity of being a Christian is is more than you can understand? I think that probably comes to all of us at some point or another, especially when maybe we're trying to understand that Greek word or that Hebrew phrase. Today I hope that we'll all see more clearly again really the simplicity of Christianity that we are to be with Jesus and in being with Him we become like Him. And when we become like Him people notice. Even our enemies notice when we are like Him. One commentary says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned, unlearned and private individuals they marveled. And they came to a right conclusion as to to the source of their power. They had been dwelling with Jesus. Their conversation with the Prince of Light and Glory, backed up, as they might also have known, by the influence of the Holy Spirit, without which even that eminently holy example would have been in vain, had made them bold for their Master's cause. O my brethren! It were well if this condemnation, so forced from the lips of enemies, could also be compelled by our own example. If we could live like Peter and John, if our lives were living epistles of God, known and read of all men, if whenever we were seen, men would take knowledge of us that we had been with Jesus, it would be a happy thing for this world. And a blessed thing for us. It is concerning that I am to speak to you this morning. And as God gives me grace, I will endeavor to stir up your minds by way of remembrance. And urge you so to imitate Jesus Christ, our heavenly pattern. That men may perceive that you are disciples of the Holy Son of God. Said Charles Spurgeon as he opened his sermon on this text. And I concur with him in this day is that being my same goal, that we would, each one of us, be stirred up and urged to imitate Christ Jesus that men may perceive that we are disciples of the Holy Son of God. First, we'll look at the boldness of Peter and John. We'll consider the meaning of that and look at some considerations of this boldness Then we'll see how they were perceived as uneducated and untrained men and some of the details of what that means. And that the Sanhedrin marveled at Peter and John. And then they had a realization. And we'll look at what that realization was, what it teaches us, and as usual, some questions and prayer that we may become more like Christ. I do want us to hear once again the clear, direct, gracious, and unreserved speech that Peter delivered to the Sanhedrin that prompted their astonishment. These words are presented to us by Luke through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as containing all that we need to see that represents what the Sanhedrin marveled over. So as we're going through today's text, it's good to have clear in your mind what they said. So one more time. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So first of all, about the boldness of Peter and John. Where were they? Let's recall this highest, most powerful court of Judaism rested with much confidence in its ability to terrify Jews into compliance, holding power not only to enact grievous penalties under Jewish law, but also this council had even of late demonstrated its, its power and its willingness to control the Roman governor, Pilate, who was still in office, who still ruled and wielded, wielded the power of, of the Roman cross, that great terror of that day. What a horrible way to die. They were accustomed, the council, to fearful, timid apologies and fawning promises of obedience from men who were trapped in that under-the-sun mindset, who could only think according to what they could see with their eyes. Peter and John shined with the peaceful radiance of those walking this earth before the heavenly countenance of Christ. This contrast shocked the council, gripping their curiosity. What they expected, what they normally saw, what they were normally able to achieve in this situation did not happen. But the opposite did more about the Sanhedrin, it was the highest Jewish council in the first century, and it had 71 members and was presided over by the high priest, so that high priest made number 71. The Sanhedrin included both of the main Jewish parties among amongst its membership. Since the high priest presided, the Sadduceean priestly party seemed to have predominated But some leading Pharisees were also members, as we'll see in other places in the book of Acts. The word Sanhedrin is usually translated council in the English translations of the Bible. Because of the predominance of the chief priests in the Sanhedrin, at times the words chief priests seem to refer to the action of the Sanhedrin, even though the name itself is not used. According to Jewish tradition, the Sanhedrin began with the 70 elders appointed by Moses in Numbers chapter 11 and was reorganized by Ezra after the exile. Again, that's according to Jewish tradition. So, however you look at it, this is a long-standing, very powerful, wealthy, and influential group of men that if you had any sense at all, you would not trifle with them. So what about boldness? Boldness is what happens inside of someone that gives them the ability to see beyond what I just said to you about that group of people. And to understand the bigger picture and to act and speak in the way of the kingdom. It is freedom in speaking. It is an unreservedness in speech. It will involve openness and frankness and it will be without concealment. And these things are not present because there's no fear. Typically, these types of communication, not being free, being very reserved, not being open, not being frank, concealing things, ambiguity, circumlocution, equivocation these types of communication are often connected with fear. They're not using figures. They're not using comparisons. They're not speaking in a lot of riddles. Boldness is clear, direct speech. The expression of boldness in speech is the expression of direct and clear language that makes the point. The point that needs to be made. And it is inside this free and fearless confidence, this cheerful courage, assurance that you are standing on solid ground and that you are speaking that which is true and that needs to be spoken in that moment. And it is going to express itself in that moment in the face of any threat. Peter and John had no fear before this cruel and mighty council, and even held out an assured and cheerful demeanor as they spoke. This fearlessness, this fearlessness provides the courage needed to speak in this fashion, unreservedly, directly, openly, without riddles, no ambiguity, no equivocation. And yet still you see the gentleness of speech and the apparent cheerfulness of demeanor that Peter puts forth commentary says they could not, with all their pomp and power, face down Peter and John. This was a miracle not inferior to the cure of the lame man, considering both what cruel, bloody enemies these priests had been to the name of Christ, enough to make anyone tremble that appeared for him, and considering what cowardly, faint-hearted advocates those disciples had lately been for Christ, Peter particularly, who denied him for fear of a silly maid, Yet now they see the boldness of Peter and John. Probably there was something extraordinary and very surprising in their looks. They appeared not only undaunted by the rulers, but daring and daunting to them. They had something majestic in their foreheads, sparkling in their eyes, and commanding, if not terrifying, in their voice. They set their faces like a flint, as the prophet Isaiah. The courage of Christ's faithful confessors had often been The confusion has often been the confusion of their cruel persecutors. These two men are living in the reality of the resurrection. They're living in the fearlessness that comes when an individual no longer has any fear of death, any fear of suffering. There's nothing that's worth having that any enemies of God can take from us. And the people who know this do God's will. Right where they are day in and day out. And fear is of no force in their lives. Where does this come from? It's easy to describe it and I agree with what the commentary says. It is as big a miracle, perhaps bigger, than the physical healing of that man who had been lame since birth. Brothers and sisters, hear me please. We have been Percolated, pickled, steeped, marinated to the core in fear. You have been, I have been in this culture. It is the commodity of the ages. And when we are freed from it, it is walking into a whole new world. And as Christians, as Christians, I'm telling you, you need to be freed from it. I need to be freed from it more and more each day, and we are probably far more controlled by fear than we understand. May God deliver us. It must be the work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to value what God values more than our own personal wish dreams and our own personal plans that we have. Things that can be taken away, things that can be lost, things that can be gone must learn not to treasure those things more than is proper. Jesus said these very surprising words, I'm sure, to his disciples in John 16. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So Peter and John had been with Jesus until he ascended to heaven. But Christ's ascension, they came to understand, it was not to their loss. But it was rather to their gain. They knew that. That's a part of what gave them this boldness. They knew they would not be alone in these moments. The Holy Spirit maintains Christ's presence with Peter and John a presence that cannot be removed the Sanhedrin had part of it right they had been with Jesus they didn't realize they were still with Jesus they didn't understand the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Christ in a way that sounds like Jesus is saying is even more near and more powerful than Christ himself face to face He said to them, it is to your advantage. commentary says, in the context of verse 8, the boldness and confidence of Peter and John are the result of the influence of the Holy Spirit. The boldness of their confession puts them in serious danger as they assert with fearless candor that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that He was wrongfully accused and executed, that He has been vindicated through His resurrection from the dead, that it was the reality of His continuing power which healed the lame man, and that salvation is possible only through Jesus and through loyalty to Him. The boldness of their presentation goes so far as to suggest that the Jewish elite in Jerusalem should accept the imperative which is implied in the exclusive link between salvation and Jesus, the Messiah. Holy Spirit, boldness. A bit more about boldness. Box says the leaders see and discover certain things. First is this boldness of the apostles and his companion John. The term appears occasionally in Acts. We've seen it in chapter 2. We're seeing it here in chapter 4. We'll see it some more in chapter 4. And then in chapter 28. And then chapter. there's the verb form of it. Chapter 9, 13, 14, 18, 19, and 26. So this idea of boldness is a theme of a thriving church. That's why I chose to pull in this other quote from this commentary. The idea of boldness, life maxim, Holy Spirit boldness is the theme of the thriving church. It is present in a healthy church. In Greek context, this term stood for the characteristic of free citizens to speak out. The apostles stand before the chief council of Judaism and make clear not only that their authority comes from outside the council, but also that the leadership is culpable for what it did to Jesus, there's no attempt to seek favor or to take a poll about how popular what they said would be. They weren't concerned about whether the Sanhedrin liked what they had to say. They weren't there doing a straw poll trying to figure out if the Sanhedrin would agree with them. They knew the message of the kingdom that they had been tasked to deliver You'll see, as we looked at last week, I'll say it again, it's basically the same message Peter has always given, already given twice in the book of Acts. You poke Peter, and out comes Jesus. You poke John, out comes Jesus. And I think it's worth noting, it's not in your notes, that it's not a personality thing. It's not that the, whatever, the extroverts are the ones who are, get the boldness. This is something that is granted to every believer in Christ. This boldness comes to us. It will fit with who we are. It will come in a way that is in in accord with how God has made us in our personalities. So by the power of the Holy Spirit and via their relationship with Jesus Christ, Peter and John speak and live as his followers. There's no question who they are, who they've identified with, carrying out his commission, doing what he told them to do in every location, speaking and acting accordingly in the face of every type of threat. Didn't matter when you poked Peter or John, Jesus came out. I do want us to see also that it's both Peter and John together. One counterfeit form of boldness can often accompany individualism and autonomous thinking. That's not how God works in His people. And that's typically not even going to be real boldness. It's just going to be someone who has got that kind of personality. Um, Note that even though both individual men were granted boldness from the Holy Spirit, they were also given one to another. Holy Spirit boldness did not create individualistic isolation. In Christ's disciples. They received all the necessary tools. For kingdom advancement from their Lord. Both Christ himself. Via his spirit. And also his church. The church he gives to us. We are to go about his business together. With his people. So what kind of men were they noticed to be? They were noticed to be uneducated. And untrained men. They perceived that they were uneducated. And untrained men. So this is a discordant thing the boldness on one hand and yet this other two qualities that don't match with that so in addition to their surprising boldness the Sanhedrin is further perplexed by their unimpressive background the Galilean accent we've already talked about imagine Jed Clampett in front of the Supreme Court that might be a, a reasonable type of thing that was going on here in terms of the contrast how, well, and especially because of the, also the accent, how could such courage and directness, how could such courage and directness of speech flow from such common men? This is uncommon. These men—they swim in the sea of philosophy and theology and rhetoric and logic and argumentation—and they know the levers of power and how they work. And it didn't work. And yet these men are coming up with these arguments that are sound, rather even left them speechless. And they're not running away, but they're standing up as men to do this. And so the Sanhedrin is searching for this explanation for their boldness, but initially their search is fruitless, uneducated, means illiterate, unlearned. Commentary says it refers to one who is without letters, unschooled, or lacking formal education. It need not mean unable to read, but simply that the person lacks a certain level of skills. And in this context, it is religious instruction that is primarily in view. The inference is that much should not be expected from them. See, the Sanhedrin, when they're trying to figure this out, they're looking for signs, right? They want to see credentials. They want to see their degrees. They want to know about their formal theological or philosophical training. But they couldn't find any such thing from Peter and John, let me see your diploma. My what? Let me see your credentials. I got a boat. Tell me why, what you've done with your past. Catch some fish. They couldn't find any of that kind of training that they thought they would find from someone who was able to speak the way that they spoke. As Peter and John spoke, one of the commentaries says, as Peter and John spoke with complete openness and eloquent confidence, The members of the Sanhedrin who were listening attentively realized that these two men were neither priests who were trained to use the law in the context of their ritual duties in the temple, nor were they wealthy aristocrats who had enjoyed the privilege of of primary and perhaps secondary education, nor law experts schooled in interpreting the Torah in all its minute details. They were uneducated, a term that here presumably does not mean illiterate, but, but uneducated, in terms of the scribal education. They spoke not only in boldness, in the unreserved and open fashion, but they spoke with a, a rhetorical eloquence and argumentation that was solid and irresistible. These Jewish leaders had no room in their minds for the school of Christ at this time, at this moment. They go through a process. This text we see the Sanhedrin going through a process. At this point in the process, they had no room in their minds for the school of Christ. They were locked up in their system's requirement for degrees and credentials as a necessary ingredient for confidently delivering such a powerful speech. It's a great mystery to them. Like they've, they've tasted good stew before. They know the ingredients of the stew, and they're trying to find how this stew was made, and none of the ingredients they're accustomed to are they finding. How did this happen? The other thing that they're called is untrained. So first it had to do with education. Next this idea of untrained is a private person as opposed to a magistrate or a ruler or a king. Someone who's a common soldier, not a military officer. In in the New Testament it's an unlearned, illiterate man as opposed to the learned and educated. One who is unskilled in any art. So. Not only did Peter and John show no signs of formal education, but they also did not appear to be men of high station in life. So they're looking for education. They're looking for position. They're looking for station. They're looking for wealth, aristocracy, something to pin this on. Commentary says they were ignorant men, private men, men that had not any public character nor employment, and therefore they wondered they should have such high pretensions They were idiots. And that's the Greek word comes to that. So the word signifies. That's what the Greek word signifies. They looked upon them with as much contempt as if they had been mere naturals and expected no more from them, which made them wonder to see what freedom they took. This was looking at the commentaries. Another point that was made is this kind of equalized dialogue was also very uncommon in that culture. People who were not educated or of station or of wealth or of aristocracy knew better than to speak as an equal, to have an argument with someone, to make a case, was not even seen as fitting. So for them to behave in this fashion is an expression of the reality of Christianity that says we become truly human when we're in Christ. So what did they do? They marveled. They couldn't figure it out. They've got these different pieces of information. None of their research is turning anything up. And this is to wonder at something, to be astonished. To, there's a type of marveling where you might admire. So this entire council of powerful, wealthy, educated, respected men simply cannot solve the riddle of boldness they see from Peter and John. How are these two men so strong in their argumentation, so bold in their presentation, and so undaunted by this entire show of Jewish force? Finding no answer, they marvel. Their shoulders go up. Their hands go in the air. They're looking around at each other. They're marveling. How can this be explained? You see, they've got their under the sun search is going on. They're looking for explanations under the sun and they fall short and leave them marveling bound in the ignorance brought by their degrees and their positions and their gold their system has bound them the first reaction of the members of the sanhedrin is amazement as they observe the boldness of peter and john and as they realize that they were uneducated amateurs so what did they realize where did the solution come? When did they stop marveling? They realized that they had been with Jesus. This word realized is to perceive. It's to find something out. It's to perceive who a person is. They're coming and you're wondering who they are and then you recognize them. So the idea is that the entire has Sanhedrin or at least portions of the Sanhedrin, had not yet fully connected with the fact that Peter and John had walked closely with Jesus during his time on the earth. But, once the entire council came to this unanimous understanding, their eyes were open to how these two mysterious men, uneducated, unconnected, how they were so bold and how they were so solid in their reasoning. The council has seen this before. They had engaged with the teacher, especially, we know, the week when they tested him so sorely prior to his crucifixion. And we are told he answered all their questions. That his responses were invincible. No one could trap him. And yet he left them speechless over and over again. It's as if the experience that the Sanhedrin has at this moment, at least those of them who had engaged with Jesus some six to eight weeks earlier, prior to his crucifixion, in the temple, Passion Week. Like, oh, I've felt this way before. I've heard an answer like this before that I didn't know, wouldn't expect, and have any idea what to say. Like, ah, they were with him. And this comes to them. And they realized that they had walked with Jesus. The council had seen it. They had heard of and even interacted with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter and John reminded the council of Jesus. You think Peter reminded anyone of Jesus the night when he swore with curses that he didn't know him? You think the disciples reminded anyone of Jesus the night they all fled and scattered? and were nowhere to be seen? Do you think the disciples reminded anyone of Jesus when they weren't even there at His crucifixion and at His burial? Save John. Perhaps the reason we see more faithfulness with John is because he was Christ, it appears, his best friend. Perhaps John had soaked up more of Jesus than the others. This phrase, to be with Jesus, can be understood as a basic definition of discipleship in the presence and in the footsteps of Jesus. According to Mark 3.14, Jesus appointed the twelve to, quote, be with him, unquote, and to be sent out to proclaim the good news. Here the phrase describes Peter and John as companions of Jesus during his ministry in Galilee. But I do think it's important for us to pause and also remember that Peter and John, and especially Peter, did not display this clear and recognizable Christ likeness during the times prior to Christ's resurrection. Look at them. Think back on what they said and what they did. They did not have this same growing likeness of Jesus that was recognizable to here the phrase describes Peter and John as his companions we are told but they were especially his companions after the resurrection their times with the resurrected messiah during 40 days before he ascended are the solidifying days of being with him and becoming like him think of it they had spent almost three full years with Jesus at this point in time. I guess they had spent three full years with Him at this time. And in the space of 40 days, there's greater transformation in their lives than had taken place during all that other time. All of that teaching, all of that interaction with Jesus, all of it had fallen on souls and minds and hearts that still needed to be churned up, still needed to be plowed, still needed to be softened into good soil. And when Jesus did that for them after He came back from the dead, it's like all of that time that they had spent with Him just came rushing in on them. All of it became so much fuller with meaning and influence and power in their lives. I love the way that Matthew Henry puts this. Note, those that have been with Jesus in converse and communion with Him have been attending on His Word, praying in His name, and celebrating the memorials of His death and resurrection, should conduct themselves in everything so that those who converse with them may take knowledge of them that they have been with Jesus. And this makes them so holy and heavenly and spiritual and cheerful This has raised them so much above this world and filled them with another. One may know that they have been in the mount by the shining of their faces. This is what we're after, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, is to walk with Jesus in this way, in this real way. I doubt the greatest doctrinal knowledge in the world could have granted this kind of boldness and invincible speech to one who had not been walking close to Jesus. We want to, we want to substitute things that are within our own reach, I think, instead of depending upon that which God gives. And that means we just have to rely on Him and receive what He gives to us. And that should not trouble us. Because he's our father and he loves us so much. So have you been with Jesus? Do you think that's how you see your life going? Do you think that's how others see your life going? Do others notice that you're different? Do others notice that you're like Jesus? I particularly think of folks in the workplace regularly and interacting with those who are Not Christians, students who are in school regularly interacting with those who are outside of Christ. I think this text, would you agree, teaches us that there should be some recognizable difference about us Christians and it will be associated with being with Jesus and we become like him and that's recognizable. And interestingly, that will mean that we'll all develop, begin to develop a, a community recognizable pattern. As we all are becoming like Jesus. Then you meet one Christian who's maturing in Christ. And then later you meet another and you go, hey, there's something similar there. It's lovely. It's desirous. Every human heart wants. Christ. Even in our sin and fallenness, we know that something is very wrong with this world. And when we see goodness and beauty, when we see relationships that are in order, people are drawn to these things. So do others notice that you're different? Do you see... That this Holy Spirit boldness, would you agree that it is a mark of mature Christianity? I, can't, I don't think we could say it's a mark of Christianity itself. In other words, if you've never had this boldness, you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that. But can we agree that this boldness will be a mark of those who are mature Christians? And what we are shedding along the way is fear. We're moving out of the house of fear. And are moving into the house of love. Because he has not given us a spirit of fear, but you know the rest. What has he given us? A spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what Peter and John are demonstrating. They had the spirit of fear before. Now we see power and love and a sound mind. Next, do you ever try to go it alone? Do you ever try to go it alone? Peter and John didn't. These are apostles who walked with Jesus. They stayed together. Didn't even go to the temple by themselves, it looks like. Next. Do you think it's possible that you might place an over or an under emphasis upon credentials and degrees and position. On the one hand, some Christian traditions will use this text to attack the idea of seminary level training and treat it as an evil. The Sanhedrin being the example of the evil. They were well trained. They were well educated. And the Apostles being the example of goodness. Just be with Jesus. That's what you'll be told. As if you can't both be with Jesus and be a scholar of God's Word. Because that's what Peter and John were. They were scholars of God's Word because they had been with Jesus. The credentials they had, the degree they had, was from the school of Christ. So, do you think that... I think we need to watch out for going into these two ditches on the side of this conversation. And, and I think associated with this, I want to make the claim kind of bald and unsupported because it takes a while, I think. But go ahead and make the claim that it is the healthiest thing if each local assembly can have a man of God who is paid full time, full time, to be constantly in the ministry of word and prayer. And May God grant that to our assembly in due time. And, and of course associated with that is the training and the education, the Bible knowledge and the language knowledge that goes along with that. Next. <clears throat> How's your prayer life? How's your word life? How's your worship life? Are you with Jesus? He has given us these wonderful means of grace. And when we draw near to Him, we're really with Him. We're really with Him. And He will really change us. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we desire to be with Jesus. We do ask, Lord, uh, not only for those of us who are here, but all those who are members of Foothills. And Lord, for all of Your people over the whole world, that we would be in converse and communion with You, Lord Jesus. That we would be faithfully attending upon Your Word, loving the Scriptures knowing and memorizing Your Word, meditating upon Your Word day and night, that we would be praying in Your name, drawing near to You and lifting up to You all kinds of biblical prayers regularly and with faith, and celebrating the memorials of Your death and Your resurrection, Lord Jesus Christ, week in and week out, Your people here and everywhere, partaking of the bread and the wine and rejoicing in your covenant faithfulness to us, your people. O Lord Jesus Christ, may we be with you. May it be so of us today and all days. In Jesus' name, amen.